0: Scott Jennings and Joe Arnold here with a special edition of the Flyover Country podcast. A big interview this week. One of the most senior members of the House of Representatives. He sits on the Financial Services Committee. Andy Barr, Kentucky 6th District, Lexington, Kentucky, joins us today. And the question of the day, Joe,
1: is? Is there a banking crisis? Should you be concerned about your deposits at your regional or your local bank? Andy Barr, next.
2: Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff.
0: Congressman Andy Barr, welcome to Flyover Country. Hey, great to be with you, Scott and Joe. Yep, and Jared's here as well. Joe Arnold is here. And, And Congressman, because we have such a huge thing going on in the world with a relevant topic given your uh, committee and, and service in
1: Congress. Joe Arnold, what's the news of the day? I guess my question is, you know, you're you obviously you're the chairman of the Financial Institutions and Monetary Policy Subcommittee, the most relevant person to be talking to right now about what's happening in the world here and the U.S. response to the the banking. We, we call it a crisis, and I guess that's, a, that's the question. What is the state of play right now, and uh, how would you describe, uh, I guess, what our uh, attitude should be about our own savings and our own confidence in the banking system.
2: Well, Joe, I think any time anytime that you have a $220 billion asset bank fail uh, that uh, and, and another bank fail and then a large globally systemic bank in distress like Credit, credit Suisse, I think you can call it a crisis. Uh, the key for uh, Congress and specifically our committee, my subcommittee that I chair, is to right now exercise robust and vigorous oversight of the financial regulators as they resolve these failed banks, to prevent systemic risk, to restore financial stability, uh, to restore market confidence in the financial sector, which um, in general is quite resilient, well well capitalized, and um, and 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 is strong. Uh, But clearly, there are uh, pockets of institutions that uh, have serious problems, and I think um, we need to make sure, first and foremost, that the regulators do the right thing in resolving these institutions and restoring uh, confidence and calm in the markets.
1: Are you aware of, in the briefings that you've had and the, the other institutions that might be out there, are there other banks that are in peril right now or other financial institutions and does does the U.S. need to be doing more to prop those up, rescue them, or take other action?
2: Well, the regional banking sector has taken taken a hit in the stock market. the uh, the, um, the The um, stocks of regional banks have declined over the last week since the weekend when we had these uh, bank failures. Um, but the the profile of many of these regional banks is. Distinct and different than uh, Silicon Valley Bank, and to a certain extent, and I've talked to the regulators about this. Uh, these banks were poorly managed, mismanaged, and the the, uh, the, their, their, the the other regional banks don't look like these banks. This was a basic failure of bank supervision, a failure of bank management. It was not a failure of regulation. It was not a failure of inadequate regulation. This was a this was a failure of nuts and bolts bank supervision. Now, what's the difference between bank regulation and bank supervision? Regulation are the rules that govern uh, the operations of, of a bank. Uh, The bank supervision, in contrast, is where bank examiners go in and assess whether or not a bank is actually complying with those existing rules. Uh, Many of the folks in the peanut gallery and the president, Elizabeth Warren, other progressives, are blaming regulatory relief and changes to the Dodd-Frank Act that were enacted uh, by my committee and by the Congress back in 2017 a bipartisan bill, by the way, in both the House and the Senate that President Trump signed into law, uh, changes that uh, even the author of Dodd-Frank, Barney Frank, says was not the cause of the failures of SVP. Uh, To be crystal clear, those changes to the Dodd-Frank law are not uh, at issue here. That, That had nothing to do with the failure of Silicon Valley Bank. In fact, Silicon Valley Bank under the changes that we made to Dodd-Frank, was subject to enhanced prudential standards. In other words, some of the strictest supervisory and regulatory requirements rec- applied to the Silicon Valley Bank even after we made the changes to Dodd-Frank. So this was not a failure of regulation. It was a failure of the primarily the San Francisco Federal Reserve, which was the primary regulator of this bank, failing to detect problems developing with this bank that were hiding in plain sight. It was a failure of bank supervision. It was a failure failure of bank management. And I can get into what those failures were if 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 your audience cares to, to talk about that or listen to that.
0: I want to unpack the comment you made about pushing back on the criticism that this was somehow Donald Trump's fault, that this was somehow the Republican uh, legislative fault from 2017, 2018. In fact, there's an article this morning in the Lexington Herald-Leader, your hometown paper by Dave Catney who writes from McClatchy. And he went through some of the things you've said uh, about why SVB collapsed. And, of course, he writes, what Barr didn't mention was that Trump attacked Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell in 2018 for repeated interest rate hikes. And there's other people out here talking about this regulatory bill. So I just want to be crystal clear here and give you the chance to fight off this criticism, because I think this is going to be a condition of our lives for the next 30 years. Every bad thing that happens. A bank collapses, it's Donald Trump's fault. A bird flies into a window that's too clean, Donald Trump did something to Windex. Everything that happens in this world is going to be pinned on Donald Trump. Take us through one more time the bill that was passed, why it has nothing to do whatsoever with SVB, because I think you're going to be living with this debate on cable television for the next uh, several months.
2: Well, exactly. In this bank failure and uh, the signature bank failure, there's a proximate cause. And then I think there's an underlying cause. But neither one of those causes has anything to do with the legislation that we passed on a bipartisan basis in both the House and the Senate in 2017 that was signed into law by President Trump. And what was that bill? That bill uh, uh, reformed the Dodd-Frank Act, which was a one-size-fits-all regulatory onslaught of the banking sector that trickled down to the least systemically risky institutions, the community banks and the regional banks. And it applied the same rigorous capital and liquidity standards to regional and community banks as it applied to the Wall Street banks, the big systemically risky banks. So we tailored the regulation to those uh, smaller and regional uh, institutions, which was the right thing to do, and still is the right thing to do. Um, the, the, the point here is that the Silicon Valley bank grew rapidly. Uh, the, the, the first proximate cause was bad bank management. This was a bank that grew rapidly, it doubled in size in a year, it quadrupled in size since 2019. It was a bank that had 90% of deposits uninsured, which is highly unusual. The vast majority of its uh, depositors were uninsured and totally exposed. And then there was massive interest rate sensitivity, meaning that when they got all these uninsured deposits, they invested them in long-dated hold-to-maturity securities with low interest rates. And so when the Federal Reserve because of 40 year high inflation, rapidly increased interest rates, and there was no hedging by the management against that increase in interest rates, the bank had massive unrealized losses. And when there was a run on the uninsured deposits by the depositors of this bank, which was highly concentrated in technology uh, industry, all this venture capital poured into these accounts. When there was a run on those accounts, the bank had to sell those long dated securities at a loss. They had to realize a massive loss. And when they marked those security, when they marked to market those securities, that led to $42 billion in withdrawals in 24 hours. And this was a bank that grew to $220 billion. So here's the thing. This was horrible, horrible risk management. This was a bank that didn't even have a chief risk officer for eight, nine months. What on earth? was the San Francisco Fed doing. The the regulators had all the tools they needed, even under the regulatory relief bill that we passed in 2017. This was a bank, after we passed that bill, that was subject to enhanced prudential standards, meaning the most rigorous standards. And yet the the San Francisco Fed was more interested in climate change, diversity and inclusion, equity, uh, and social justice than it was in nuts and bolts basic bank supervision. They had all the regulatory tools that they needed. They didn't use them. They were asleep at the switch. And as a result, they had to take emergency measures to stabilize the banking system. Now, now the, fact that the, the fact that the regulators had the tools over the weekend to put an emergency liquidity facility in place to uh, uh, extend the, uh, the uh, deposit insurance to all of the uninsured depositors, that's, those were existing tools that, ex- that existed in, in current law pr- and prior law. It just goes to show they, it, it wasn't deregulation that was the cause of this. They had the tools to stabilize the financial system. It was the fact that they were asleep at the switch and they didn't supervise this institution. Why is it that the regional banks in Kentucky, operating in Kentucky and around the country, why are they not in the same distress? Because they didn't look like uh, Silicon Valley Bank. They don't have that level of uninsured deposits. They weren't huge borrowers of the Federal Home Loan Bank. They had chief risk officers in place. They managed their interest rate risk. And fortunately, that's that's why there's not a huge contagion here is because other regional banks were managed properly. So what is the proper policy response here? I can tell you what it's not. The proper policy response is not to roll back the regulatory relief that we provided to these regional banks that kept – obviously kept certain standards in place to certain regional banks. But right now the regional banking sector is under pressure. The last thing you want to do is apply more burdensome regulations to the regional banks, which would push more business, more deposits into the large money center banks, the wall street banks, making big wall street banks, even bigger. What we want is competition and choice in the banking sector. So we we need to tailor these regulations so that regional and community banks can compete with the large Wall Street banks.
0: Congressman Barr, there seems to be a debate going on about whether this is correctly called a bailout of this bank. The Democrats and the Biden White House don't want to call it that. Republicans, I think, and conservatives are calling it that. Where do you come down on terminology as we discuss this? And then as a follow-up question, uh, I was reading a column this morning by Eric Erickson, a conservative commentator who's been on the pod, and he was talking about what he thinks is the coming backlash from a lot of Americans about this and other things that are going on in the world where you've got people, uh, you know, liberal progressives involved in, you know, this bank in in California getting bailed out by, you know, the rest of the country. And remember, California is a place where they wouldn't even let their own state employees travel to states like Kentucky because they hate, you know, us rhubarbs out here in flower of a country. And and Eric was talking about his belief that there's going to be a voter backlash against the bailouts for people who tend to hate, you know, middle America. What's your view on the terminology and and uh, and and do you think that voters would be right to feel like there should be a, a backlash at the polls uh, because of this bank, the way it was governed, and the way Biden has handled it?
2: Well, it's a complicated. It's a good question, and it's a bit of a complicated answer because there was no taxpayer bailout, at least not yet, no taxpayer bailout here. However, um, the the measures that the federal regulators took over the weekend, the Fed, the FDIC, the tr- the Treasury Secretary, they did uh, invoke what's existing law which is called the, and I know this gets a little technical, but it's called the systemic risk exception to the federal deposit insurance fund. What that means is that the taxpayers aren't on the hook to cover these uninsured depositors, but other banks are. Other banks that pay um, pay the premiums into the, the deposit insurance fund. So what that means is that Americans will get hurt by that to the extent that financial services and products become more expensive and less available because their local community bank is paying a higher assessment into the FDIC deposit insurance fund. So no taxpayers are not bailing out the Silicon Valley Bank, but in order to cover these uninsured depositors, the all of the other banks, including small community banks in Kentucky and other places in far country, they have to get assessed the mismanagement, and these, and by the way, I've checked in with Kentucky banks, they didn't make these, um, these crazy mistakes. They don't have the level of uninsured deposits. They don't, they manage, they hedge against interest rate risk. So they've, they've operated many of these flyover community banks, flyover country community banks, they don't do the risky things that Silicon Valley bank did. And so um, one of the questions that we have for the regulators is, did did they re- regulators thwart a private sector solution to this over the weekend? Did they want to stop a transaction between a Silicon Valley Bank and a larger bank to resolve this uh, issue uh, in a in a in a private transaction in a way that would have prevented an assessment to all of these community banks and region, other regional banks? Uh, that is, some, we want to get to the bottom of that because a private sector solution would have been better and would have. Uh, resulted in no bailout whatsoever. So the terminology, yes, no taxpayer bailout here, at least not yet. Uh, But a bailout to the extent that your local community bank is going to have to suffer and pay the price for this uh, very risky Silicon Valley bank that, yes, served a lot of wealthy uh, tech executives. Now, one caveat to that is that this Silicon Valley bank, totally concentrated in tech, 50% of the market share of these startup tech companies, the executives of these tech companies, um, you know, there is a moral hazard here. They should pay the price because they parked all of their deposits at one bank. And so they, they, they exposed their own companies because all of their cash was uninsured. It is not the fault of the workers, the millions, maybe 2 million workers across the country who work for these technology and biotech companies whose payroll was at risk as a result of this over the weekend. And, and they operate in all 50 states. They are flyover. Many of these workers are flyover, and they're not the wealthy people who run these technology companies. So it's a bit of a complicated situation. Um, and one, one thing that we want to look at is these uninsured depositors, these executives of these tech companies, many of them are woke, woke and liberal and California-based Uh, they should have skin in the game, too. They made the bad decision of parking all of their money at one risky bank. Uh, We shouldn't reward them. We shouldn't reward all these uninsured deposits going to one risky, woke Silicon Valley bank. We need to restore market discipline on that front.
0: That's the voice of Congressman Andy Barr of Lexington, Kentucky. You're on the of a Country podcast. I'm Scott Jennings, and we've got Joe Arnold here. We've obviously been spending a lot of time on the news of the day, but— what was the news of the day just a couple of days ago? Was you on the House floor passing a bill
1: which Joe Biden doesn't like very much, Joe? So you were you were the star of Fly Over Country podcast with Scott Jennings about two weeks ago, and and we all just you know, kind of listened back for the regaling of this uh, ESG speech that you gave that was just fire. And so, but it's interesting overlapping now. Here you have a bank more concerned about DEI than managing their the financial institution do you think this actually is kind of the proof of your pudding, if you will? In other words, your this is your ESG come to life. I mean, and, and if, if we're more concerned about ESG than we are about long-term retirement security for Americans, look no further than SVB. And what, what can happen to people if you take your eye off the ball of what you ought to be focusing on?
2: Well, Joe, I think that's not the only issue here, but it is not a non-issue. Uh, we do want to... Uh, uh- The first order is to make sure we restore financial stability, Um, but uh, I think as we look to the underlying causes and other issues, clearly this bank board was distracted by other things. Clearly the San Francisco Fed was distracted and not doing its job in basic bank supervision here. And what were they distracted by? They were distracted by ESG, by climate change, by social justice issues and diversity and inclusion when they should have been focused on protecting their depositors, protecting uh, the the, the, uh, the bank, the shareholders of the bank, and they were not. Um, uh, and it was basic uh, bank mismanagement. But you're right um, in terms of the need for the bill that we passed um, last week. Uh, this was a resolution of disapproval of a Department of Labor regulation out of the Biden administration that would have steered and and will steer, if if President Biden vetoes our bill, will steer Americans unwittingly in many cases into um, less diversified, higher fee, lower performing ESG funds. What are ESG funds? Environmental, social, and governance, meaning that investment advisors and retirement plan sponsors uh, can prioritize political issues, environmental issues, uh, diversity and inclusion issues above and ahead of basic financial performance. This is a real problem. The politicization of your retirement account is a problem because Americans deserve and need maximum returns when the gap between what Americans have saved for retirement and what they're going to need for retirement is estimated to be $3.8 trillion. Uh, Most Americans, whether they're on the right or the left, they need retirement security. They don't need their retirement plans politicized. So that's what my bill was all about. We earned some bipartisan support in the House and the Senate. It's on the president's desk right now. Unfortunately, the president has threatened to veto that bill. This looks like it's going to be uh, President Biden's first veto on my bill, which would require investment advisors and ERISA plan sponsors to prioritize financial performance Over politics.
0: One of the statistics that you brought out in your arguments for the bill and your speech, by the way, was was, as Joe said, absolutely brilliant. And your arguments for it were so well constructed. But these ESG investments perform so much more poorly than investments that you would just make if you were a logical, rational person whose only mission was to make money for their clients. Isn't that right?
2: That, that's right. I mean, look at what happened in 2022. We had a we had a a, a bear market, a big sell off, but um, and and so everybody lost money. But who lost the most? People who are invested in ESG. Why did they lose the most? Because they were not diversified. Investing 101 is diversification, and ESG funds are by design concentrated risk. They're not diversified by design. They're heavy in tech stocks. Uh, because the tech is supposedly environmentally friendly, and they're light in energy stocks because they're dirty stocks. They're, they're brown. They're not green. Um, and the, the, the problem with that in 2022 is energy massively outperformed the broader market, and tech underperformed the market. Uh, uh, and it was a huge tech sell-off. Um, and, and energy prices went up, so uh, tech, uh, so energy um, companies performed very, very well. So if you were invested in ESG, you lost a lot of money. And it's actually not just in the sell-off like last year. It, uh, the University of uh, California, Los Angeles, and NYU, I believe it was, they conducted a study over the last five years. They looked at these non-diversified concentrated risk ESG funds, and they found that if you were invested in, in ESG funds, you underperformed about 250 basis points uh, on average per year. So what does that mean? That means if you invest $10,000 five years ago in ESG versus $10,000 in non-ESG funds, um, you would be about $1,750 poorer uh, if you were an ESG versus non-ESG. So that's that's a big deal. And with compounding interest over time, if you're not broadly invested in, let's say, an S&P 500, um, you're you're a real loser,
0: oh, Congressman. You did excellent work on this bill. This is tangible results of what it means to have a Republican majority in the Congress, and the American people are going to see where Joe Biden's priorities lie. It's going to his priorities lie with all these uh, woke activists, and not with people who just want to put their money somewhere and have it grow at a reasonable rate so they can retire someday. It's it's amazing to me that Biden is siding against the average person who just wants to retire.
2: And, Scott, can I say one other thing about the underlying, the underlying causes of these bank failures? I know the president and Elizabeth Warren and Maxine Waters, they want to blame Republicans and Donald Trump for deregulation and we need more bank regulation. Look, the reality is, why did we have these bank failures? Yes, poor bank management, bad bank supervision, but the underlying cause was overspending. The underlying cause was bad monetary policy uh, that flooded uh, the, uh, the financial system with easy money, low interest rates uh, too, for too long, and a massive influx of fiscal stimulus overspending, which produced the highest inflation rate in 40 years. And because of that, the Federal Reserve was forced uh, in March of 2022, to rapidly increase interest rates to t- to tame inflation, and when you do that and you don't give the financial system time to adjust, things will break. And this is an example of, uh, of, of of a bank that breaks because you have a rapid increase in interest rates in a short amount of time, and they didn't adjust. They they they, they didn't manage their interest rate risk. So there is a cost to excessive spending, to overspending. There is a cost to um, easy money policies through the Federal Reserve. And the bank failures is the ultimate byproduct of bad fiscal and monetary policies. And largely, uh, that was that was the Democrat agenda.
0: We've got about a minute left with Congressman Andy Barr of Kentucky's 6th District. We're going to put you on the clock with a famous lightning round questions. Short answer or yes or no. Number one, Will the University of Kentucky make it to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament?
2: Well, I don't want to jinx it because I am a <laughs> diehard uh, Wildcat fan, and we've we've had a bit of a drought, and we, we flamed out in the first round last year and flamed out in the first round of the SEC tournament, but we have the talent to do it, uh, and I'm an
1: eternal optimist. Go Big Blue, Sweet 16 bound. You mentioned your success with uh, some bipartisan legislation. Who is your best Democratic friend in the Congress? Jimmy
2: Panetta, he represents uh, Monterey Bay. I've got, I've got a lot of uh, Democrat friends. We disagree on a lot of things, but um, we do come together um, in, in many instances, and, and Jimmy's a good guy.
0: All right. Uh, political question. Who did a better job of pummeling Amy McGrath, you or Mitch McConnell?
2: <laughs> unfair, unfair question. <laughs> uh, it, was a, it was a tie.
1: <laughs> All right. Ha- have you met George Santos?
2: I have not actually. I've, uh, I've passed him on the floor and haven't had an opportunity to meet him yet.
0: All right. Final question. Do you color eggs in the Andy Barr kitchen with your daughters? Or are you a strictly go hunt eggs somewhere else? Kind of kind of family. We hunt eggs
2: elsewhere. I'll have to say.
0: Yeah, that's that's the cleanest and wisest choice. Congressman Andy Barr of Lexington. Thanks for being on the Fly Over Country podcast. And hey, great.
2: Great to be with you, Scott, Joe and Jared. All
0: right. See you guys. Thanks. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast.